Section thirty eight of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Lynn. The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett. Section thirty eight. To Dr. Lewis. Dear Lewis, your fable of the monkey and the pig is what the Italians call Ben Travada but I shall not repeat it to my apothecary, who is a proud Scotchman, very thin-skinned, and, for aught I know, may have his degree in his pocket. A right Scotchman has always two strings to his bow, and is in utrumque paratus. Certain it is, I have not scaped a scouring, but I believe by means of that scouring I have scaped something worse, perhaps a tedious fit of the gout or rheumatism, for my appetite began to flag, and I had certain croakings in the bowels which boded me no good. Nay, I am not yet quite free of these remembrances, which warn me to be gone from this centre of infection. What temptation can a man of my turn and temperament have to live in a place where every corner teems with fresh objects of detestation and disgust? What kind of taste and organs must those people have who really prefer the adulterate enjoyments of the town to the genuine pleasures of a country retreat? Most people, I know, are originally seduced by vanity, ambition, and childish curiosity— which cannot be gratified but in the busy haunts of men. But in the course of this gratification their very organs of sense are perverted, and they become habitually lost to every relish of what is genuine and excellent in its own nature. Shall I state the difference between my town grievances and my country comforts? At Brambleton Hall I have elbow-room within doors, and breathe a clear, elastic, salutary air. I enjoy refreshing sleep which is never disturbed by horrid noise, nor interrupted but in a morning by the sweet twitter of the martlet at my window. I drink the virgin lymph, pure and crystalline as it gushes from the rock, or the sparkling beverage home-brewed from malt of my own making. Or I indulge with cider, which my own orchard affords, or with claret of the best growth, imported for my own use by a correspondent on whose integrity I can depend. My bread is sweet and nourishing, made from my own wheat, ground in my own mill, and baked in my own oven. My table is, in a great measure, furnished from my own ground. My five-year-old mutton, fed on the fragrant herbage of the mountains that might vie with venison in juice and flavor. My delicious veal, fattened with nothing but the mother's milk that fills the dish with gravy. My poultry from the barn door that never knew confinement but when they were at roost. My rabbits panting from the warren, my game fresh from the moors, my trout and salmon struggling from the stream, oysters from their native banks, and herrings with other sea-fish I can eat in four hours after they are taken. My salads, roots, and pot-herbs, my own garden yields in plenty and perfection, the produce of the natural soil prepared by moderate cultivation. The same soil affords all the different fruits which England may call her own, so that my dessert is every day fresh gathered from the tree." My dairy flows with nectarious tides of milk and cream, from whence we derive abundance of excellent butter, curds, and cheese, and the refuse fattens my pigs that are destined for hams and bacon. I go to bed betimes and rise with the sun. I make shift to pass the hours without weariness or regret, and am not destitute of amusements within doors when the weather will not permit me to go abroad. I read and chat and play at billiards, cards, or backgammon. Without doors I superintend my farm and execute plans of improvements, the effects of which I enjoy with unspeakable delight. 
nor do I take less pleasure in seeing my tenants thrive under my auspices, and the poor live comfortably by the employment which I provide. You know I have one or two sensible friends, to whom I can open all my heart, a blessing which perhaps I might have sought in vain among the crowded scenes of life. There are a few others of more humble parts, whom I esteem for their integrity, and their conversation I find inoffensive, though not very entertaining. Finally, I live in the midst of honest men and trusty dependents, who, I flatter myself, have a disinterested attachment to my person. You yourself, my dear doctor, can vouch for the truth of these assertions. Now mark the contrast at London. I am pent up in frowsy lodgings where there is not room enough to swing a cat, and I breathe the steams of endless putrefaction, and these would undoubtedly produce a pestilence if they were not qualified by the gross acid of sea-coal, which is itself a pernicious nuisance to lungs of any delicacy of texture. But even this boasted corrector cannot prevent those languid, sallow looks that distinguish the inhabitants of London from those ruddy swains that lead a country life. I go to bed after midnight, jaded and restless from the dissipations of the day. I start every hour from my sleep at the horrid noise of the watchmen bawling the hour through every street and thundering at every door a set of useless fellows who serve no other purpose but that of disturbing the repose of the inhabitants. And by five o'clock I start out of bed, in consequence of the still more dreadful alarm made by the country carts and noisy rustics bellowing green peas under my window. If I would drink water I must quaff the mawkish contents of an open aqueduct exposed to all manner of defilement, or swallow that which comes from the river Thames, impregnated with all the filth of London and Westminster." Human excrement is the least offensive part of the concrete, which is composed of all the drugs, minerals, and poisons used in mechanics and manufacture, enriched with the putrefying carcasses of beasts and men, and mixed with the scourings of all the wash-tubs, kennels, and common sewers within the bills of mortality. This is the agreeable potation extolled by the Londoners as the finest water in the universe. As to the intoxicating potion sold for wine, it is a vile, unpalatable, and pernicious sophistication, balderdashed with cider, corn-spirit, and the juice of sloes. In an action at law, laid against a carman for having staved a cask of port, it appeared from the evidence of the cooper that there were not above five gallons of real wine in the whole pipe, which held above a hundred, and even that had been brewed and adulterated by the merchant at Oporto. The bread I eat in London is a deleterious paste mixed up with chalk, alum, and bone ashes, insipid to the taste and destructive to the constitution. The good people are not ignorant of this adulteration, but they prefer it to wholesome bread because it is whiter than the meal of corn. Thus they sacrifice their taste and their health and the lives of their tender infants to a most absurd gratification of a misjudging eye and the miller or the baker is obliged to poison them and their families in order to live by his profession. The same monstrous depravity appears in their veal, which is bleached by repeated bleedings and other villainous arts, till there is not a drop of juice left in the body, and the poor animal is paralytic before it dies, so void of all taste, nourishment, and savour, that a man might dine as comfortably on a white fricassee of kid-skin gloves or chip hats from leghorn. As they have discharged the natural colour from their bread, their butcher's meat and poultry, their cutlets, ragouts, fricassees, and sauces of all kinds, so they insist upon having the complexion of their pot-herbs mended, even at the hazard of their lives. 
perhaps you will hardly believe they can be so mad as to boil their greens with brass halfpence in order to improve their colour and yet nothing is more true indeed without this improvement in the colour they have no personal merit they are produced in an artificial soil and taste of nothing but the dunghills from whence they spring my cabbage cauliflower and asparagus in the country are as much superior in flavour to those that are sold in covent garden as my heath mutton is to that of st james's market which in fact is neither lamb nor mutton but something betwixt the two gorged in the rank fens of lincoln and essex pale coarse and frowsy as for the pork it is an abominable carnivorous animal fed with horse-flesh and distiller's grains and the poultry is all rotten in consequence of a fever occasioned by the infamous practice of sewing up the gut that they may be the sooner fattened in coops in consequence of this cruel retention of the fish i need say nothing in this hot weather but that it comes sixty seventy fourscore and a hundred miles by land carriage a circumstance sufficient without any comment to turn a dutchman's stomach even if his nose was not saluted in every alley with the sweet flavour of fresh mackerel selling by retail this is not the season for oysters nevertheless it may not be amiss to mention that the right colchester are kept in slime pits occasionally overflowed by the sea and that the green colour so much admired by the voluptuaries of this metropolis is occasioned by the vitriolic scum which rises on the surface of the stagnant and stinking water our rabbits are bred and fed in the poulterer's cellar where they have neither air nor exercise consequently they must be firm in flesh and delicious in flavour and there is no game to be had for love or money it must be owned the covent garden affords some good fruit which however is always engrossed by a few individuals of overgrown fortune at an exorbitant price so that little else than the refuse of the market falls to the share of the community, and that is distributed by such filthy hands as I cannot look at without loathing. It was but yesterday that I saw a dirty barrel-bunter in the street, cleaning her dusty fruit with her own spittle, and who knows but some fine lady of St. James's Parish might admit into her delicate mouth those very cherries which had been rolled and moistened between the filthy and perhaps ulcerated chops of a St. Giles's huckster." I need not dwell upon the pallid contaminated mash which they call strawberries soiled and tossed by greasy paws through twenty baskets crusted with dirt and then presented with the worst milk thickened with the worst flour into a bad likeness of cream but the milk itself should not pass unanalyzed the produce of faded cabbage leaves and sour draught lowered with hot water frothed with bruised snails carried through the streets in open pails exposed to foul rinsings discharged from doors and windows spittle snot and tobacco quids from foot passengers overflowings from mud carts spatterings from coach wheels dirt and trash chucked into it by roguish boys for the joke's sake the spewings of infants who have slabbered in the tin measure which is thrown back in that condition among the milk for the benefit of the next customer and finally the vermin that drops from the rags of the nasty drab that vends this precious mixture under the respectable denomination of milkmaid i shall conclude this catalogue of london dainties with that table beer guiltless of hops and malt vapid and nauseous much fitter to facilitate the operation of a vomit than to quench thirst and promote digestion the tallowy rancid mass called butter manufactured with candle grease and kitchen stuff and their fresh eggs imported from france and scotland 
now all these enormities might be remedied with a very little attention to the article of police or civil regulation but the wise patriots of london have taken it into their heads that all regulation is inconsistent with liberty and that every man ought to live in his own way without restraint nay as there is not sense enough left among them to be discomposed by the nuisance i have mentioned they may for aught i care wallow in the mire of their own pollution a companionable man will undoubtedly put up with many inconveniences for the sake of enjoying agreeable society a facetious friend of mine used to say the wine could not be bad where the company was agreeable a maxim which however ought to be taken cum grano salis but what is the society of london that i should be tempted for its sake to mortify my senses and compound with such uncleanness as my soul abhors all the people i see are too much engrossed by schemes of interest or ambition to have any room left for sentiment or friendship even in some of my old acquaintance those schemes and pursuits have obliterated all traces of our former connection conversation is reduced to party disputes and illiberal altercation social commerce to formal visits and card-playing if you pick up a diverting original by accident it may be dangerous to amuse yourself with his oddities he is generally a tartar at bottom a sharper a spy or a lunatic every person you deal with endeavours to overreach you in the way of business you are preyed upon by idle mendicants who beg in the phrase of borrowing and live upon the spoils of the stranger your tradesmen are without conscience your friends without affection and your dependents without fidelity my letter would swell into a treatise were i to particularize every cause of offence that fills up the measure of my aversion to this and every other crowded city thank heaven i am not so far sucked into the vortex but that i can disengage myself without any great effort of philosophy from this wild uproar of knavery folly and impertinence i shall fly with double relish to the serenity of retirement the cordial effusions of unreserved friendship the hospitality and protection of the rural gods in a word the jucunda oblivia vitae which horace himself had not taste enough to enjoy i have agreed for a good travelling coach and four at a guinea a day for three months certain and next week we intend to begin our journey to the north hoping still to be with you by the latter end of october i shall continue to write from every stage where we make any considerable halt as often as anything occurs which i think can afford you the least amusement in the meantime i must beg you will superintend the economy of barns with respect to my hay and corn harvests assured that my ground produces nothing but what you may freely call your own on any other terms i should be ashamed to subscribe myself your unvariable friend matt bramble london june eight end of section thirty eight